morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome Him. The light shines on us today as we conclude the epistle of Philippians. I'm always kind of sad when I end some of these books, and especially Philippians, because Philippians is all about joy. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, if you've forgotten, I'll say it again, rejoice. He has many other nuggets in this last chapter. And as always, we remember that we are here with lots of grace, lots of light, and of course, lots of Jesus. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Thank you to our friends who are support Thy Strong Word, Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us Pastor Stephen Tice, who is now vacancy pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Pastor Tice, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. So thank you, sir. Pleasure to be with you again. So last time we talked, you had just gotten done with a vacancy at Cape Girardeau, but now you're at a new congregation in New Wells. Yes, Can sir. you tell us about that? Well, the um, the parish in New Wells um, had uh, lost their pastor in December. Unfortunately, uh, Pastor Larry Brott had uh, heart complications, and the Lord called him home. Um, so they were in in a situation where they had an unplanned vacancy, and uh, the folks in Hanover and Cape Girardeau had extended a call that was accepted by a pastor, and I then became available to help the folks in New Wells, and they asked me to come and assist them. So the Lord provided me the opportunity to share the gospel in that community. Wonderful. And and here's something I wanted to ask you, because I see this a lot up here in, in northern Minnesota. We have a lot of we have a lot of vacancies I, throughout the whole Missouri Synod. This is for our listeners, for you to um, lift up this in prayer is that uh, we pray the Lord of the harvest to provide pastors for our congregations. But I do find it interesting that you have some retired uh, pastors like yourself who seem to love doing vacancy work. Tell me this. Why? Why do you love doing vacancy mm-hmm. work? Tell me more. Well, for me, it, it's a combination of, of two things. One is I, I have been gifted by God to share the word by preaching and teaching. And in these vacant congregation situations, I am able to do that, to continue to use God's gift for God's people. But at the same time, as a retired pastor, I still have flexibility to adjust my schedule to do things that might be part of the family schedule or uh, vacationing or other things that might need to be taken care of. As a vacancy pastor, the, the congregation understands that there'll be times when I say simply, I'll be somewhere else, let's make another arrangement. But it also then gives me the chance to continually touch the lives of people who strengthen me and build me up. And as we look at the Philippians passage, we're looking at Today, the co-workers in the gospel concept continues to be reiterated for me as a vacancy pastor, uh, that we're doing this together as the church. Hmm. And this is uh, just a good reminder for us is, one, not only pray for your pastor, but pray for your vacancy pastor and give thanks for what he does. What do you think of that? Well, thank you. (laughs) 
Okay. Reminder to our listeners this morning that if you have any questions about our text, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor, as we begin to search the scriptures, uh, can you please begin us in prayer? Certainly. Let's talk to our Lord together. Almighty and gracious God, you have told us again and again in many ways that you desire us to call upon you. You have promised that when we call, you will hear and you will answer. We ask your blessing upon our study of God's word today, that your spirit might pour out to us your light and truth. We ask your care and protection for all those afflicted with illness or uncertainty, for those seeking employment or continued relief from challenges brought about by isolation or restrictions. We ask you to turn away the attacks of Satan on the hearts of your people and to wrap us in the love of Christ and his peace, that together we might shine your love in the world and overcome the darkness as Christ has sent us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor Tice, we are ending Philippians. And in these verses, we will hear him giving thanks for many of his co-workers, and he has much to rejoice over. So what introductory thoughts or themes do you have for us as we get started? Well, the, the, uh, the two thoughts that jumped out at me was the realization that in the life of God's people, there have always been occasions when individuals will disagree. And when they disagree, how they disagree is important. We ask God to guide us to unity of understanding and give us wisdom and insight. But what's just as important from our end of that process is the realization that we are in this together and that the objective is never to win, but to agree in Christ as to what's the right way to do something. And that concept, especially for, for uh, U.S. citizens, is always a challenge because we live in a culture that's very individualized and highly focused on our rights. And as we look at the Christian church, the focus in Scripture is always on our unity, connectedness, and service as God's people, not serving ourselves. So that, that focus is clear here in this section of Philippians as well. You know, and that's something I've heard the statement, we before me. And <laughs> sometimes that's a little bit uh, simple. It's too simple, to be honest. But I think that might be a good starting point as we look at all these different people that Paul thanks and speaks about that we have no idea who they are. I mean, we don't know these people, but yet they were an important piece to his ministry while he, when he spoke to the Philippians and while he is in jail. So, we before me. How does that sound to start us today? Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah, that shows Okay. Up. Go ahead. I think we lost him. So, we're going to keep going here. Pastor Tice will get him back on the line. But we're going to start by reading uh, from Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. And a reminder to all of our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version of the Holy Scriptures. And like I said, we before me. Let us begin. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Synetiki to agree in the Lord. 
Cindy Key, excuse me. I can, I can never figure this one out. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are on whose names are in the book of life. Now, when we look at these first two verses, it has struck me that Paul is speaking of people that we don't even know about. That I, was, I had a hard time um, figuring out how to say these names. I went through it numerous times. If you go to YouTube and look at pronunciation, it's helpful, but not always great. Is Euodia and Syntyche. And these were two women who obviously were minist- in ministry together, side by side, he says about them. That they worked side and side. We don't know much else about them besides that they labored with him. And also, there was another person named Clement. And another person... I ask you also, true companion, whoever this true companion may have been, you have all these individuals that Paul has worked with. Now, this is something I've been thinking about quite a bit, is the unsung heroes in any life of the church. The people that you want, um, that you, that are doing things behind the scenes and no one knows about. But yet, it is something that we realize that there are people who are always side by side. But right now, we have with us, talk about side by side, we have back with us Pastor Tice. Are you there? I am. Having some phone right. connection issues. Okay, we'll, yeah. keep, we'll keep plugging through here, Pastor. And I, was just, I just read verses 2 and 3 and spoke uh-huh. about how you have Euodia and Syndicate and Clement and we have a true companion, all these people who are joining him in the ministry, and it makes you realize how many unsung or people behind the scenes who are working with Paul, but also working with us in the church. Thoughts on those first two verses? Uh, we, uh, we see here this, this phrase, true companion. Um, some people have speculated that that's mm-hmm. actually an individual name. Sorry if I stepped on you there. Um, but the, the true companion, uh, that's, you know, it's also a, a term that could actually be a proper name. One of those things where, you know, the art of translation requires you to make a choice. But either way, there's an individual that Paul is addressing here at Philippi, who has been a co-worker with him and with these others as well. And what they're focusing on here is his request to this individual to support the women in finding agreement with each other. He's saying, you've all worked together. Right now, these two have a disagreement of some sort. We're not told what it is. But work with them. Help them. They've already been pulling together with me. And the Greek phrase that's used there is is the word to be yoked together. Hmm. And they're pulling together. They're going in their same direction. They have a, a teamwork effort. And if you have a team that's pulling in different directions, they get nothing done. So what he's saying is, let's get back to focusing in the same project. Help these two women to realize that they're no longer pulling together, they're pulling apart. And so, that, you know, part of the Greek phrasing that, that we come across here, the, the labored side-by-side concept is really literally being connected in the pull. So hmm. as Christians, we are connected with each other, and, and we're striving to pull together. And then Paul goes on to identify that it, it's never about one individual. It's never about one person in the church 
getting the credit or even getting the blame. It's about recognizing that we're working together. And, you know, the, the Ecclesiastes passage, you know, better two, to, two than one alone. If one stumbles, the other can help them up. And that, that image is clearly presented here. Even getting back to that idea, three together is better than two. And so Paul's right. even pulling back that thought that the two struggling have a third helper present. And of course, as Lutheran Christians, we often will take that thought from Ecclesiastes into the, the relationship between a husband and wife with God involved. But it's also a reference to the Trinity in the fact that the three together can't be broken, um, hmm. which is, you know, one of those things that every once in a while you bump into something and, and later the Holy Spirit says, do you know this statement really might tie in here? And we find something. The, the key thought at the very end there in verse 3 is that their names are all in the book of life. Yeah. It's not like they're trying to get somewhere to, to get God's recognition. God's already written us into his life-giving uh, tree, and he's connected us to Jesus, and we're already safe in him. So now we're pulling in the same direction. And the only one who wants us not to pull in the same direction is Satan. Hmm. So stopping and asking, who's, who's doing the attacking here? Who's the real problem? And the answer is Satan is the one destroying the unity. So Paul says, work back together in Christ. You'll get where you need to be. And that, and that is very helpful to think about the obvious uh, battle that we are under with the devil, who does not want us to work side by side, as he says. And the side by side language, as you said, being yoked together, he uses this also in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, um, that you are of one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith in the go- of the gospel. And, and, mm-hmm. and he pulling this all together, clearly this is an issue in Philippi. Clearly it's an issue in what he's doing. But today he pulls it all back together and says, uh, I guess you would say, uh, we can do this. We can do this because our names are written in the book of life. Let's not forget that reality. And we can move forward with the gospel in mind and to be reconciled. You know, we've been given the, the ministry of reconciliation, Second Corinthians chapter 5. We can do this because mm-hmm. the blood of Jesus is what unites us. Thoughts about reconciliation yeah. and how that all looks in this text? Well, I think a, a big part of that is, is a, again, identifying not who we are as much as whose we are. Hmm. And when we focus on whose we are, we've taken the attention off of ourselves. Reconciliation requires me acknowledging that I've been wrong And I don't need to be right. I need to be right with God, and I need to be right with my fellow believers. I don't need to be right. And so reconciliation is is back to the question of how do I not break what God's given me in connection with other Christians? And admitting my, my failure, my fault, confessing, and asking for forgiveness, knowing that the person forgiving me is also a forgiven sinner. We have this connection to each other. Whose are we? We are Christ. And so the reconciliation concept continues to go back to confessing sin, extending forgiveness, and looking for God's work to be done in us and through us. It's not about being right or having my way. And so Paul is urging these Christians in Philippi to recognize that 
your call is to walk together in the Lord. And, and when we walk together in the Lord, as I've said over the decades, when we all draw closer to Christ, we draw closer to each other. Mm. When we push each other away, we're also pushing ourselves away from Christ. And if we're drawing closer to Christ, we're automatically being drawn closer to each other. And the Holy Spirit does that drawing. He pulls us to Jesus, and then we're closer to each other. And as long as we're focusing, again, as I say, on whose we are, as opposed to who we are, the Lord keeps that happening in us. And I see that working out. And you've been in, you know, you've you've obviously been in ministry for quite a while, and you're still doing ministry and vacancy work. And you probably have seen that happen in the life of the church, that the more people are in the Word of God, the more people are are you know receiving the gifts in, in Christ and for in worship and and being forgiven and singing the hymns and and receiving the sacrament that their eyes are fixed on Jesus and then therefore they're able to see each other in a new light and able to one see their own sin but also realize that they mm-hmm. need forgiveness and therefore forgive one another. I mean, you've seen this play out probably a lot in your ministry. Yes, and this is this is so key to understand that when one person can ad- admit to another that they have perceived things incorrectly or failed to serve the other person as as a believer in Jesus, suddenly there's no need to win an argument anymore. And there's no need to be the one in in the position of power. You've put yourself in a position of servant humility. Getting back to Jesus' words to his disciples when he washed their feet in the upper room. And, and then we see how God brings healing to those who have been wounded by the power of his forgiveness in Jesus, expressed through the words of believers talking to one another. And mm-hmm. man, it, it makes impact in not just the individual lives, but also in the atmosphere of a congregation when people confess and forgive. And particularly if they do it in the presence of others who have seen them have a strong disagreement that moves from just a disagreement to uh, an argument. And that's, it's okay to disagree. Nothing wrong with disagreeing. But how we express that disagreement can easily lead into my sinning against another. And so to be able to say, I was wrong, please forgive me. And then to hear the other one say, I forgive you because Christ has forgiven me Boy, does that make an impact on people who've watched the argument as it's occurred? And this is, uh, you know, it's funny because through my mind as you're as you're talking, I was thinking to myself, uh, but what if I am right? (laughs) (laughs) But what if what if I am right though? You know, come on, I'm right in this situation. I'm the pastor, or I'm I'm the dad, or I'm whatever I think I might be. Boy, that gets difficult. And and Paul really. He, he, he doesn't get into it as much here, but when you look at all the other epistles that we've been going through, you know, Second, Second Corinthians and Galatians right. and Ephesians mm-hmm. and to Philippians, it's very clear that he's speaking about unity, not unity in, in just saying, well, let's just all agree to disagree um, in general. Mm-hmm. But the we before me is centered in Christ who has reconciled us to the Father by his blood. And yeah. from that, yeah, this, we are written in the book of life. Go ahead. Yeah, and from that relationship then, it, it all comes back to this relationship of living in faith by God's gift with the Father's approval. 
I don't need to win approval from other people. I need to keep pointing to Jesus. And again, I can be right as long as I'm using the Word of God to make the Word of God proclaim the truth. If Mm -hmm. I'm the one who's got to win the argument, I've already lost. Right. Right. And and so we go back to letting the Word of God. The Holy Spirit convinces people. I don't convince anyone. I help people to see where the problem may be or to acknowledge where the the stumbling block is. But the Holy Spirit's the one that enables you and me to stand up again when we fall. The Holy Spirit, by God's grace, through the gift of our baptism, you know, what are we buried with Christ that we might rise to newness of life and walk in it? Paul uses that phrase again and again. The Old Testament uses the, the term the pathway or the way of God. You know, the, hmm. the light of our path is the Word, and the true Word for us is Jesus, who shows us the way to the Father and, and says, I'm the only way to the Father, but I am the way to the Father. And so we walk in that way. And, and again, getting back to our interaction as, as believers, and Paul's writing here to the Philippians, Fellow workers, Paul says, hey, we're in this together. I'm the apostle the Lord sent to you, but you've been in partnership with me. We'll get to that in a little bit from the first day because we're fellow workers. Paul's saying again and again, it's not about me. It is about us. And this leads us into the next verse which actually these next three verses are, are, are really special to me. My first sermon I did um, during seminary was on these verses, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And, and you want to get verse 4 right because he's laid the groundwork of our name is written in the book of life. And now let's read verse 4 where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, Pastor, Philippians is commonly known as the joy epistle, you know, joyfully Christian, joyfully in Christ. And it's ironic because he's in jail in chapter, you know, chapter one, he even kind of speaks about how he's not sure if he's going to be here or he's going to be with Jesus and it's more fruitfulness. But yet he had this joy rejoicing. As we know throughout this book, the rejoicing that Paul has is proclaimed very clearly, not founded in himself. We notice here in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in myself, not rejoice my circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord. And then just in case you don't know it, rejoice. He said, I'll say it again. Rejoice. He says this even to the point of in verse 1 of our chapter that we read you know, the other day on Tuesday, is that Paul's joy is in the Philippians because they are together in Christ. He tells us in the Lenski commentary, he speaks about the Christian life not being about being gloomy. Now, we have to be very careful with this. We don't want to make it sound like that we're the happiest people in the world because we know we have to grieve. In our own congregation, we have had a number of uh, people who have lost loved ones. And you can't tell them, hey, rejoice, rejoice, you just lost a loved one, or that they're with Jesus. Yes, we have comfort in that. Yes, we do have joy, but joy is not happiness. Joy is a comfort of knowing that your Lord has done all of these things for you, and we're able to move forward together, as he said, in the book of life, to realize that he has given us all things We know that our salvation is set, our names are on the book of life, and by his wounds, we are healed. So that's what I love about this passage, is that, remember when I preached on this, 
uh, for the first my first sermon, which is at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in North St. Louis. I remember I talked about the joy of being in Christ, and in that congregation, people would would say Alleluia, <laughs> and you know and that they, they would respond back to me, and and that reminds us of the joy that we have that we're able to say Alleluia even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of being in jail. So let's move on. Verses five through seven, five through seven. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's an interesting word, reasonableness. I've heard it said many times when somebody is, uh, you work with somebody either at church or at your job or when you go and shop somewhere, you'll say that person's very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Are we back, Pastor? Yeah, well, I believe I am, near as I can tell I am. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'm talk- we're in verses 5 through 7, Pastor. Sure. And mm-hmm. it talked about being reasonable. Um, and I saw the definition of this. I talked about uh, how <laughs> there are, you know, people that will say that person's reasonable, that they're thoughtful, that they're patient. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to be reasonable in our Christian life? It, well, part of it does mean the willingness to listen. To be reasonable means that you're actually going to take in the available information. Most of the time as human beings, and I've made this comment before, what we tend to do is we listen to someone talking, and then we listen up to the point we hear something to which we wish to, re- wish to respond, and then we switch off the listen mode and we begin to formulate the response to what they just said, and we're no longer listening. Reasonableness hmm. actually means being able to listen all the way through to make connections. And the other side of being reasonable in, in this particular context is that we actually take the time to ask the question, what did that mean? When you said that, what were you saying to me? And this, this reasonableness, this um, taking the time to, to hear it all and letting it settle, that reasonableness is such that when people come to you, they actually know that, that they're going to have a, I'm going to use a phrase, fair hearing. And, and then that you're not basing your response on preconceived knowledge of their person or their history, but you're actually dealing with them as an individual in a current situation. Um, you know, I, obviously, we all went to high school, I did that decades ago, with a variety of different <laughs> people. And as high school students, we were all immature. And the maturity level of, of the, my high school classmates was such that some of them were more mature than others. But by the time they were all in their 30s, we had changed. And Mm. then I was able to say, okay, I remember as a high school student, that person acted this way, but now they've matured. And so I can see their reasonableness now when it wasn't apparent younger. Uh, Part of that comes back to the idea that the Holy Spirit causes us to focus beyond ourselves and, and be able to say, what does the Word of God call us to here? And reasonableness is always about listening to the other person talking, and then listening to what the Word of God says about a situation. Part of my challenge is I am a human being with emotions, 
and it's easy for me to react on the basis of my emotional um, input from a particular situation. I can't ignore my emotions, nor do I pretend they aren't real, but I recognize that reasonableness is beyond emotion. It gets back to hearing the whole thing and then letting the Word of God inform me about what the real problem is. Um, as, as pastors, we're, we're directed and trained specifically to work with hearing people out so that we can determine if they need law from God's Word or gospel from God's Word, and then part of that's the reasonableness that we actually listened to find out what the need is. And I think Paul's getting at that when he talks about this reasonableness being known to everybody uh, as opposed to uh, you know, off-the-cuff remarks and, or a fly-off-the-handle response. That, that never produces the work of God. It produces the work of man. So. As it tells us, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason, but right now we need to take our break. We are concluding our study of Philippians chapter 4 with Pastor Stephen Tice, and we'll be right back. This Thursday, March 18th, 2021, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, the Thursday Morning Bible Class of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Perryville, Missouri, who made a gift to KFUO in loving memory of their dear friend, Richard Berkey. Richard departed this life and entered his heavenly home on November 20th, 2020. Once again, we say thank you to the Thursday Morning Bible Class of Emanuel Lutheran Church in Perryville, Missouri, for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. In 2020, the world was blindsided. At the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, we quickly refocused on how to best serve the church. Our COVID-19 response team took action, reaching out and listening to our borrowers. In response, we offered a number of financial remedies that allowed our borrowers time to stabilize. We also provided online streaming kits for churches, gift cards for food pantries, financial support for LCMS church workers, and much more. Life's not yet back to normal, and that's why we're still here for you. Visit LCEF. Org to learn more. In 1924, by the grace of God, KFUO began broadcasting the goodness of Christ for you. A long part of this history is bringing you worship services to hear and receive the good gifts of God in His words. This Sunday morning, join us for services from Peace Lutheran Church at 8 a.m. and Hope Lutheran Church at 1045, as well as Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere at 930. Hear Christ for you in Sunday morning services on KFUO. Concluding our study of Philippians chapter 4 with Pastor Stephen Tice. And as we've been talking about rejoicing, rejoicing in the Lord, we're also told to be reasonable. And this isn't just like trying to um, make a good deal at, at, a, at a restaurant or making a good deal at a store or something. This is being reasonable, as Pastor said so well, to listen patiently and to care for people. Whether you're a pastor or you are a member or you are serving the Lord in different ways, to be reasonable so that people may glorify God through you. And then, and this is important because it takes it away from um, this, this like, uh, uh, caffeinated joy where you're always happy, but it's a calm and calming spirit to point us how can we care for people. And then it says the Lord is at hand. Why is it an important 
word here, Pastor. The Lord is at hand. He puts it in there, and it seems very intentional. Yeah, he's, he's basically saying, keep everything in the right perspective. Jesus is coming back. And as we look at Jesus returning again, as he's promised, to redeem all of creation from Satan's grasp, you know, the created world itself will be totally redone. You and I will be given, you know, a body that's no longer subject to, to death or corruption. What's the perspective we want to keep in mind here? What thing matters most? Or to put it another way, what's the eternal objective in the conversation and in the interaction? And if we keep things focused, and this is, again, as a pastor, one of the, one of the great challenges that you and I face working in the life of the church is Satan wants us to think it's all about what we get done now, and how quickly we can make things better, and forgetting that the real objective is to make things permanently better in Christ Jesus. It's not how quick we get it done, it's that we remain faithful to the purpose of welcoming the Lord when he comes back. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? And by the way, Jesus doesn't answer that question, he asks it. Uh And so you and I now are keeping in mind that this is Christ coming again, We don't know when it will be, so let's not lose focus on why we're doing what we're doing. It's to build the relationship in Jesus Christ that lasts for eternity. And, you know, speaking as a father, working with my children and now grandchildren, part of the objective I have to keep in mind is it's not about keeping the kids out of the mud. You know, there was a point in time when that was a big deal to me. Not when I was a kid, mind you. Um, And and as, as I look at that, I ask the simple question. Why am I trying to keep them out of the mud? I'm trying to keep them safe. Okay, that's one thing. But if they play in the mud and they get dirty, they can be washed off. Clothes can be washed off. You know, what's the priority? It's maintaining a proper relationship so that Christ is made known in the lives of my family members by our interaction. And if you can, you know, human emotion gets in the way of that. Boy, does mm-hmm. it ever. And, and so here's mm-hmm. where, you know, that, that the Lord is at hand. So what are we after here? We're at not being anxious about everything, but letting letting our compassion in Christ be evident in how we interact with others. And in the life of the church, that's so important. Now, the next few verses, I think, are, are very important for us to, to look at and dig, dig, dig in a little bit here. Because he says words that can almost make me uh, be exactly what he says not to be. So he says, do not be anxious about anything. And um, sometimes when I hear that, you hear from Jesus to do not be anxious about tomorrow, you know, in, in Matthew chapter six. But then I hear that, don't be anxious. And then I start to think, now I'm anxious. Ah. Well, you know, our sinful human nature does that with the word of God, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm anxious Paul, while being anxious. Right. <laughs> well, you know, what Paul is getting at, I think, is the Christians in Philippi apparently had some anxieties about something. Maybe it was about the Roman government. You know, maybe it was about their their uh, health situation. Maybe it was uncertainty about what's happening next in the local economy. Welcome to the world we all live in right now. Mm-hmm. And and what Paul is saying is, you know, quoting the Old Testament again, it's, it's a waste of time for you to get up early and sit up late, and then the King James translation is to eat the bread of sorrows or to be worried about something. Mm. That's a total waste of time. And so Paul's saying, if you're going to spend time thinking about something, don't be anxious about it. Pour out your request to God. And that's what that, that first word there in, in verse, um, verse 6 about prayer mm-hmm. comes from. 
but in everything by prayer. That actually means to pour things out to God. That comes from mm. a, a Greek compound phrase. It just means to dump it all out. Get it out from inside. Pour it out. You know, you and I pray, we never inform God of anything. He already right. knows. So the objective is not to let God know. It's to express what's inside of us and not be anxious about it, but to bring it out and give it to God. You know, this morning I was going through devotional time and, and spending some, some time looking at Scripture, and one of the things that came to my mind as I flipped through the portals of prayer, uh, the back of the, the book, it has some, some prayers, and I saw one that I thought I needed to pray today, and it was for the unemployed. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know what? I'm thinking about people who need a job, but God doesn't say think about them. He says, pour out your prayers. And so I said, you know what, if we're going to pour it out, then then I did. I just took it and said it out loud in words. Because that's what God says to do. He says, don't keep it inside. By prayer and then supplication. That means to be one who, who bends toward the giving source and says, I know I need it from you. I bring the petition, this request before you. And and the the phrase then later, by let your request be made known to God. That's that word petitions, as, as we would call it. Mm. So we have these three different words. One is a pouring out, that's prayers. The other one is to lay a request in front of God. If I can say it, the first phrase is to get it out from inside. The second is to bring it before God and and tell him you depend on him for it. And then the third is to ask him to grant you a specific solution to the problems you've now poured out before him. So as Paul puts this together, he's, he's really dealing with a process that says, get it out from inside, don't be anxious, but pour it out. Turn it over to God, and then tell God what you'd like him to do in response to what you just poured out. And all of this is about you and me building a connection back to the one who gives us all good things. The Apostle James says it very simply. You don't have because you don't ask. Mm. And Paul says, hey, ask! (laughs) Yeah. Same message, different guys. Yep. It is. And, And this is something when we think about prayer, I've heard it described this way. Um, that you you pray and you literally are taking whatever that is, whatever person it is, off your shoulders, off your hands, and you're laying it at the feet of Jesus. Absolutely. And it's and it's for Him to to deal with. It's for Him to take care of. For Him to love. For Him for all of this. And then that brings us the peace of God, realizing it's in His hands, not my own. It's on His His side, not my own. And that gives us a peace, as it says which surpasses all understanding and then points our hearts and minds back to Jesus. And yeah. and it's such a powerful thing. I like how you said that. Get out what's inside, and we need to do that. Lord, have mercy. We, we hold so yeah. much inside, and we need to lay it in front of God and say, Lord, we know you've already taken everything on the cross. Therefore, we know that you hear this prayer, and you will answer like a loving father will listen to their dear children. Yeah. Last thoughts on prayer. Yep. The Lord simply says, Bring it to me. Cast your cares on me. I care for you. Give it to God, and God says, it's handled. Let's go on to the next thing. And that's why he says rejoice in the Lord, because this is our reality. Let's, go, let's keep right. moving along here. We're going to have to get through some verses here. Verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent... Excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
So he says a lot of things. Honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. What is this list that he's given us? Well, he's, basically what he's presenting for us is all those things that you and I would call virtues. These basically are the things that match the design of God, who in the beginning when he created the world said it is good every single day. Day one, God saw it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, it was good. And then day, day seven, it was good, good. These things are all from God. Anything that is good, that is pure, that is honorable, those are all part of God's created order and creation before sin damaged and corrupted it. Everything was good, pure, honest, true. Now, those things are made known to us by God and His Word. And, for instance, the love we have for our family, because God loved us first, is pure and honorable. Now, the love of self-aggrandizement and recognition from others, that comes from Satan, who wanted to be first in God's list and got jealous of Adam and Eve. At least that's how I personally interpret what Scripture says about Satan's behavior. You know, mm -hmm. he thought he should be higher than Adam and Eve, and, and so he rebelled and, and rejected God's plan. But if we focus mm -hmm. on the things God has given us, those things will indeed continue to keep us in this peace of God. And when we focus on those things, think about it. It's worthy of praise. Why is it worthy of praise? Because it's good in God's eyes. It benefits others. Is it excellent? Why is it excellent? Because God designed it to bring benefit to others and to serve our neighbor. All of these things are about not me, but you. Or maybe a better way of saying that, not me, but us. Not, not the me, but the we you talked about earlier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you do these things and you focus on these things, it's mighty hard to have an argument about me not getting what I want. And I remember one time... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry. I remember one time we were, we were, there was an argument, I can't remember, it was probably a pastor's conference, and I remember everyone's kind of go, well, what about this, what about this? And then you start getting into who is right type of situation, and then there's, well, what about this negative thing, what about this negative thing? And I remember one pastor said, you know what, as I look at everything, I just can't help but give thanks to God. And he went down the list of the ways that our church and our church body and everyone else has been greatly blessed, and it changed the conversation. Because one, he, he, he did what Paul did. The Lord is at hand. And, and to focus our attention away from the, the brokenness, because clearly we know that is there. That's why we pray. That's why we lay this and look to the cross. That's why we lay it at the feet of Jesus. But he changes it. And here he says to do the same thing. We could spend all day on the negatives and the evil and the work of the right. devil. But let's look at the good things that God has given to us that is worthy of praise. And think about these things. Then, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Pastor. In verse 9, he goes on to say, okay, think about these things. And this is a prayer, meditation type of exhortation. Then he says, practice these things. So what he makes a transition, I think, going from focus on them, now practice them. Any thoughts on that um, continuum or uh, flow, or how would you describe that? I, I would say it, it comes back to... Uh, as Jesus put it, it's not what comes out of a man, but what goes into him. The eye is the light of the heart, or the eye is the light of the heart, uh, mm -hmm. knowing what you see. And, and so it comes back to, what are you focused on? If you're always focused on the negative, the bad, the failure, the, the corruption, suddenly that becomes your life focus. What Paul is saying is, do not focus on the darkness. The darkness is there, and it must be counteracted. But the way to counteract it is not to investigate darkness further. It's to focus okay. on the light. 
<laughs> that is like, it's so easy to do. Yeah. And, and the solution then is not to ignore the darkness, it's to bring the light and let the light shine in the darkness. And all those things that we heard before, pure, just, honorable, true, commendable, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise, all that's light. Bring mm-hmm. the light to the darkness. And then Paul says, and you watched me do that when I was with you. Remember, he was in prison. Paul and Silas were in prison. And there's an earthquake. And what are they doing? They're singing praises to God while chained up in a collapsing building. <laughs> That's true. What that our have? Lord Jesus is the light and no darkness yeah. can overcome it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so he's saying, what, what you saw me doing, and I've been doing it ever since the first day I was in town, and I got, I got arrested, and I was thrown in prison, and I was praising God in prison. Hey, you guys, you've seen me do it. You know this is what I believe. Practice it. Practice this. And the God of peace will be with you because you've caused Satan not to be able to get a foothold by focusing on the light and not the darkness. And the light shines, as you say, in the darkness. Amen. Yeah. So let's, let's move on here. He talks once again about rejoicing, 10 through 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you'd had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, I have learned that in, in whatever situation I mean to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here he brings up, once again, I rejoice in the Lord. So he brings it back to that rejoicing that we should focus on, which is a peace that we have in Christ. And then he speaks about basically all these things that have come about. You've cared for me, and I've learned how to be content. Contentment is one of those things that I think is one of the hardest realities of the Christian life. How can I be content with what's there as opposed to what I don't have? This is a you know a coveting issue. This is a life and others. To be content, what does that mean for the Christian, and why is it so important, Pastor? Well, the content, contentment is is to... Hold to what you've got, to literally be where you are in Christ Jesus, and to then be content, to tenaciously stick with what you've got, I'm breaking the word down into component parts here, means Mm -hmm. that you simply ask the question, is God with me? Has God promised to care for me? Is my God big enough, or do I have to get a bigger God? Well, this says the Lord enough, is at hand. The Lord is at yeah, hand. Right. And do we yeah. need a bigger God? Well, what's the answer to that? No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do we have problems to address? Absolutely. Do we have disasters that occur in the world? Yes. Is any of it beyond God's ability to deal with? No. And so I have learned in whatever situation to be content. And this is what Paul is saying. He himself has been in prison, and he's been elevated to the, the highest heavens. You know, whether in the Lord or, uh, you know, or, or in the flesh, he couldn't say, but he'd seen it. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's saying, basically, I understand. By the work of the Holy Spirit, he was able to understand what really matters. And what really matters is what God has given you and me in Jesus Christ. Or if I can say that another way, this isn't as good as it gets. Right. This is great stuff, but it, it's even better when Christ comes back. So mm. I can handle whatever comes now, knowing that in Christ everything is already better. And this contentment, again, comes back to 
whose am I? Not who am I, whose am I? I am a child of God for whom the Father did not hold back his only son. And that son of God is not ashamed to be called my brother. Hmm. What more could I ask for? Jesus is content to have me as a brother. Wow. And I like, I like how Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Yes. And, and that's something I, you know, have to pray for all the time. Hebrews 13, keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, and it, it doesn't stop there, the author to the Hebrews, but he says, the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, which goes right into what we're saying here too. The Lord is at hand. He is our Emmanuel. Um, and behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. That's why we can be content. The God who was there throughout COVID is going to be the God that's going to be moving us forward as we move forward in the days still yet to come. Um, yep. Contentment, oh Lord, help me to be content. I want to move forward here. We have about eight minutes left, and I want to focus a minute or two on verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a text that is often used, I will see, on sports. <laughs> Somebody wins a Super Bowl, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or they've hiked a mountain, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is the context of Paul's words here? What is he saying? Well, Paul is saying that everything I've accomplished, all the things I've asked you to copy in me, I do through Christ Jesus. Um, I can be in prison, and Christ gives me strength. I can write to you in Philippi from prison, saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say, sitting here in my jail cell, rejoice. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can lose. And see, that's the key. Our culture tends to focus on, that means God lets me win. No, that means God's Ah, with you when you lose. Right. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I fail, and God still loves me. I sin, and God still invites me back. Mm. I can do all Mm. things through Christ who strengthens me. And as my mother used to say years ago, before the Lord called her to a heavenly home, it's a great life if you don't weaken, and I'm not a bit strong. <laughs> That's a good quote. i got to write that down. Say it again, Pastor. Say it again. It's a great life if you don't weaken, and I'm not a bit strong. Uh, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See? Wow. This is, this is the key. It's, it's the Christ who strengthens me when I fall down. Not when I'm standing up the one who picks me back up and says, let's keep walking together. Well, this is a good tagline. This is a good tagline for, for example, at a Super Bowl that the person who has the Lombardi trophy in their hand and for those who are losing are able to confess the same thing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, Same thing with uh, when you enter a, a very tough situation or someone you've you've been victorious or you have lost you you have been healed or you are are near death we can say all of these things that is Christ who strengthens me we have about 5 minutes left here pastor i want to get through our text 14 through 23 i'll read through all of this sure. and then we'll talk about um the paul says i have received full payment so let's move on Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, what strikes me in these words uh, is that he is very explicitly saying, Thank you, Philippians, for your help. Thank you for your gift. And then he says, To God and the Father be glory forever and ever. So it shows us we're not lone rangers in this thing. There are people with us. We are serving in the name of the Lord, and we can Mm -hmm. rejoice. Thoughts on these verses, Pastor? Yeah, a couple of simple things that jump out. One of them is that we share in this. The word that comes to my mind is from Psalm 23. My cup overflows. Mm -hmm. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. The gift you gave was a fragrant offering, acceptable and pleasing to God. Put that another way, Paul says, you sent me a gift that you really gave to God. What you were offering to God was your response of being in this together as his people. And I think there's a key thought here, as Paul lays this out before us, I think it's a key thought for us as Christian people within our families, within our marriages, but also within the congregation. When something goes on, and I'll even use the phrase, if something goes wrong, to ask the very important question, what just happened to us? And what just happened to us was the broken world tried to pull us away from God. And you and I have already been fully supplied. We've received full payment and more. Nothing is lacking in what God gives us in Jesus Christ. All that lacks is our ability to see that God gives it to us. And so we simply pray with the the man coming to Jesus with the sick child, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's a good connection with the full payment. The full payment has been made by Christ, and then therefore we are able to be content, as he said. I'm able to rejoice, and whatever we receive from people, we're able to give thanks. Because naturally, in my, I know in my heart that you receive something, and you start thinking about, but why isn't more? Why isn't there more? Why, you know, all these kind of things. Sure. And Paul is showing us that peace that surpasses understanding that in Christ, he's made the payment. And therefore, everything I receive is truly a gift, starting in worship, extending mm-hmm. to our lives, and we give those gifts to others. Uh, Pastor, we have about a yep. minute left here. How would you sum up this end of Philippians? Maybe even a, a word or a sentence. How would you sum all of this up? celebration of what God's given us together. This is it. Celebrate what God's given us. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say rejoice. Pastor Stephen Tice, vacancy pastor of Emmanuel and New Wells. And, And pastor, by the way, God bless you as you begin that new journey. Helping us today to study Philippians and end our study in Philippians chapter 4 by God's grace. Pastor Tice, uh, God bless you as you begin this new ministry, and thank you for being our guest. Thank you. You're welcome. God's blessings with you as well. 
Saints of our Lord, rejoice. As Pastor said so well, it's time to celebrate. It doesn't mean that you have to be always happy. It doesn't mean everything has to look good. It doesn't mean any of that. But when we rejoice, we look at Christ. We look at the cross. We look at the empty tomb. And we know that the peace of God guards our hearts and minds and points us again to Christ. And you are not alone. You are not alone. Paul had Epaphroditus, Euodia, Sentiki, uh, Clement, and Caesar had all these people. And you have your church, your pastor, and brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus. But most of all, you have the Lord Jesus who is at hand. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. <music>